still adjusting to the handball rules in MLS. It's That's So MLS <laughs> with myself, Nick Thornton. With me, as always, is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm here. I'm excited to be here to talk about some North American soccer with you. Um, the It was definitely... Um, <laughs> the there's we Some things as, we're, as we're speaking, you know, there was the there was the All Star break. Um, I turned a year older. Uh, there was somehow a, a there was a Saturday where one thousand one hundred thousand goals were scored. Yeah. Um. So we're going to talk about all that. Um. One of the things I think that was uh, a fairly Something that we have been, I guess, watching and waiting for 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 a number of months now that that came out um, on the eleventh um, was the, the the on Thursday was that they had finally come up with the, uh, the MLS had re- released the findings of an in, in, independent investigation into Vancouver Whitecaps FC's handling of uh, misconduct allegations brought uh, both against Bob Barada and against. Um, Hubert Busby, uh, this um, as much of this his uh, we we've discussed with this is um, come from the um, 20, 2019 blog post by Kara McCormack and, and some of the things that had happened after that. Um, the a lot of the reports that have ha- taken place so far have dealt with just Berarda, so this is kind of the first one to come up that that also handles the Busby Jr. Um, allegations. The, I would say that this was one of the more anticipated and more consequential seeming reviews mm-hmm. because uh, n- numerous Vancouver Whitecaps um, executives were suspended pending the results of this particular review. Um, and I don't know that it is... This has been uh, a little bit of a 50-50 on what the result, on, on in terms of what people were hoping for, I think, from it. And, um, you know, the big quote that, that TSN has put up, you know, before last night's Whitecaps game was, while Ruben Tomlinson's report found that our organization took the allegation seriously and acted on the expert advice of an external investigator, it's clear that we could have done better, especially in how we supported and communicated with our players. The women who are affected, our staff, players, and community, we are truly sorry. Um, and I think that that concern, this is not too um, dissimilar from the Sport Loss Strategy Group review in 2019. Um, like the Sport Loss Strategy Group um, report in 2019, this report by Ruben Tomlinson, LLP, um, also takes some time out to say that there was no cover-up from, no alleged cover-up from the Whitecaps. Um, but it is, this report in another, uh, you know, the, the report says the Whitecaps did not attempt to dismiss or cover up the allegations, but rather took them seriously and actively assured that the allegations were addressed and involved the CSA where appropriate. We found the white guest witnesses who spoke with us in this regard to be credible. And then the next, the very next point is, we had significant concerns with the investigations themselves. We found them to have been superficial and lacking in depth. They appeared to have been rushed and limited in the number of individuals interviewed. 
of particular concern was the lack of an examination of the phone allegedly used by Mr. Berardo to send text to the players in 2008. Um, this is, I think, a big limitation. This is this is content that I think that was not in the um, uh, original Sport Law Strategy Group review that the Whitecaps did. Um, and I think that it is being overlooked a lot and, and, and certainly was not really... Point, was not really pointed out in the in the TSM aspect of things, like like the angle, the the narrative that they essentially that the league and the club are pushing is the same from 2019, which is you know this is a small organization. It only you know it didn't it had no experience handling these sorts of cases, and uh, and they they called an investigator, and that's all that morally we could have asked from them at the time, right? Like that, there is, there is a, a legitimately a, a, port, a part of this that says, you know, we can't lay the failings of the investigator at the Vancouver Whitecaps team. Um, before I get into some of my points about this and in, in, in speaking about another review, or the, the, the other context for this as well, is that the Canadian Soccer Association has completed its own internal review. Um, what do you think first of, of what has happened with this, uh, of, of this MLS report? I think for me, the long story short is that it's the conclusions are kind of like, this is what we've seen from MLS. And when MLS instigates these kinds of investigations is that you kind of get this like, rehashing of stuff that we mostly know uh a it seems like a very limited scope and not a great procedure on this one as well and it just sort of feels like they're like okay well the process wasn't great but no one's really to blame because that it was different times and they were a young club here's some recommendations but all of the recommendations for things are just shocking to me like they, the, that they don't exist already like even just things like having a centralized data point for collecting things about these circumstances or l like just really like even written policies about things i just feel like for years now we we've heard this and then there's recommendations, and then the club's response is like, well, we take these things very seriously, we're very sorry, we'll implement these recommendations. But they're so broad, and then there's not the transparency of follow-up to say, now here they are. I, th I think mainly for me, I'm also frustrated that I'm like, I don't know how this took like over a year to put together, not to dismiss the amount of work that it takes, but given... The, such a limited scope of this investigation and the limited scope of the report itself and length of it, I'm kind of like, d could this not have been completed sooner? Or could you not have flagged that, like, oh, a lot of players didn't want to talk to you? Anyway, apparently I've got lots of different <laughs> thing, things that I feel about this. But ultimately I go... As, as somebody that gave up my season's tickets because of all of this stuff, in, in no way does this, for me, like, what closure does this bring to anybody, um, really? It, it's sort of, it's like, as they're falling down, saying, like, it just feels very, like, there's a lot of flexibility for them and patting themselves on the back to be like, well, under the circumstances and given where we were, like, 
there was an adequate response, but the response was completely inadequate. Like it's somehow trying to be two things at once in a way that I find these reports often are. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that that has a lot to do um, with this particular, um, with this particular issue um, in terms of the, the trying to split it apart and, and to say, you know, to, 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 take things apart by, by looking at the scope and being like, well, they could only work on what allegation they have, etc. Um, part of this, this is better than the last one, uh, the, the 2019 one, but um, since we last talked, this McLaren Global Sports Solutions report of the Canadian Soccer Association has come out, and I found that one to be very instructive. Um, both, the, both the McLaren report on the CSA and the Ruben Thomason support report uh, commissioned by the NLS um, basically mentioned that by this point, <laughs> the players are extremely reported out on yeah. this and it has been hard to, to get access to them. TSN did mention that the Ruben Thomason report specifically um, there, they could not get assure, the players that wanted uh, many players that wanted to talk did not talk. Um, because of concerns that their responses essentially wouldn't be confidential mm-hmm. or wouldn't have, you know, the, um, the issue of, of, of solicitor uh, client privilege was not guaranteed. Uh, so they ended up interviewing four current employees and one former employee who had varying degrees of involvement with the 2008-2011 investigations. And nine individuals with respect to historical concerns and or current White House policies, procedures, and training. Three were players. Um, I don't think they did not review as many former players as we would have liked. It it does not actually specify in any way whether or not they spoke to one from 2008. So the thing that I, here's some of the things from the, uh, the, the CSA report that I think that are, um, that are clarifying about all this. Um, we talked before a little bit about the, the notion that there was, you know, that, that all oh, the white caps didn't have policies. So they didn't know how to react when this sort of thing came up. Um, but the, uh, the CSA report is clear. The CSA had policies. Yeah. And it shows in in and ultimately the the people who were handling this, which essentially meant the executive council, um, because the executive council was doing a lot, I guess, at that time. Um either didn't know or, or didn't look into the harassment policies at the time. And they've pointed out that like essentially there were the policies at the time required them to have um, four anti-harassment officers. And there was one anti-harassment officer, and it was the anti-harassment officer who did uh, from from Ontario soccer, essentially. So it's like, it's kind of, they were in that position where it's like, we have one good person connected to our organization who knows how to do this. And is you know like identified as like being somebody you would go, you would go talk to if you wanted to know about this, um, and like other organizations had robust um, 
uh, robust safety harassment strategy. And one of the things that was brought up with that was, well, okay, well, the CSA let the Whitecaps handle this because they felt that it was a Whitecaps thing. But one of the directors for the CSA was Greg Anderson, who was working for the Whitecaps as the director of football and who or, 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 or a similar position um, and still works for the Whitecaps. Yeah. And like the, uh, and, and so he should have, given the fact that he was the board of an organization that had a harassment policy, he could have had access to the harassment policy, but he didn't know it in, in either, you know, in either group that he was a part of. The other thing that is sort of mentioned in that is that um, essentially the under 20, the Canada under 20 team um, was more or less completely left to its devices. Like mm. the, the under the youth team under the men's side had a technical director who monitored the U20 coach. Um, in the women's side, the women's team coach, Evan Pellerud, was the director of women's football. And nobody could find job descriptions to truly determine who, like, what the job description of the director of women's football was. But essentially, when all of this broke down, um, the, the CSA executives said to Pellerud, um, you've got to handle this. This is your employee. And Pellerud said, I what? Like, and that's not necessarily endorsing his position, but he had no idea. Like, everybody, when, when the rubber hat hit the road on this, everyone decided that Berardo was Evan Pellerud's responsibility and it, at, at CSA. And Evan Pellerud said, this is a friend of mine. I kind of think of him as a mentor, but I don't rep- he doesn't report to me. I don't supervise him. I don't monitor his his progress or issue performance reviews. Like like this is it's simply this is he just does his own thing. So nobody was watching in that particular in, in, in that particular sense. Um I also felt that it was very concerning to me that uh you know there was a line in that review that essentially just said like um Oh well, the essentially there was a May complaint. The they brought in this investigator Ann Chopra, um, who basically got him to apologize and commit to doing sensitivity training. Uh, there was a letter brought up at some point of this review that was essentially like, "Oh, um, from from Greg Anderson to Evan Pellerud being like." This issue is basically dead among the players. Good job. In terms of how that was being handled. Um, they went to U20 camp by by it was indicated in the review that there was province of the U20 camp um in this in that summer of 2008. Um Andrea Neal in September made a complaint, a third-party complaint, and then that was when Essentially, they they reviewed it and 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 decided that Berardo should leave. Now, a big part of this in in the 2008 thing, this is one of the things that I specifically wanted to mention. Um, the investigation 
went from 29th September to 9th October. It failed. The CSA failed to meet the obligation under the harassment policy. Um, the CSA, through the executive committee, voted to suspend Berarda from all coaching duties pending the outcome of the two, September 2008 investigation. Um, a letter of suspension was jointly issued by the Whitecaps and CSA on October 3rd, 2008. So this investigation was being done by both groups. Mm-hmm. According to the information received by the IRT, upon completion of her investigation, Ann Chopra verbally recommended that Berardi should no longer be coaching the Whitecaps or the U-20 women's national team based on a continuing pattern of harassing behavior and power imbalance. Um, where was this? There was a thing about the meeting that I thought was very important. Um, on October 8th, another in-person meeting took place in Vancouver, including Ann Chopra, Whitecaps, the CSA representatives, and Berarda. The IRT, so this is the, the review, the, the, CS, the, the group reviewing the CSA, is not pre- privy to the conversation that took place, but confirmed from what followed that all parties agreed that it was in their best mutual interests for Berarda to quietly resign, even if the Whitecaps and CSA later declared and still maintained that he was terminated. On October 8th, Bob Berarda issued a letter addressed to the General Secretary Peter Bompoli where it states, I have confirmed that we have come to a mutual agreement that there is a need for a coaching change for the U-20 women's national team immediately, and accordingly I am stepping aside. According to a former CSA executive, the organization was guided by the ombudsperson in legal with respect to the strategy concerning Bob Berardi's departure. This strategy is alluded to in Ann Chopra's 12th October invoice, which references scripting pertaining to meetings attended by Berardi, as well as scripting related to media and player messaging. This was done to, quote, protect the organization. That's what lawyers do, and it was one in, in, in accordance with what was common practice at the time, according to one former CSA executive. The CSA, with legal advice, structured and communicated the decision to mutually part ways with Berarda. Unfortunately, by doing so, the U-20 WNT players were left without any public acknowledgement of the harassment inflicted by Berarda. So when I go from there to the MLS report, and the MLS report says there was no cover-up. They acted, mm-hmm. they acted quickly and brought in an expert investigator. And then the next in the next paragraph say, but the investigation was rushed and, and was superficial. And later say that it was clear that the Whitecaps and Berarda worked to further each other's interests rather than the interests of the players. I mean... What do you need? Do you need an email that says, I need you to order a cover-up? Like, (laughs) what do you need to... We we have got a review... But that's how these things always go, is they just play fast and loose with the language to turn it around and soften anything. It's why we say misconduct and we don't talk about what actually happened. We don't say sent sexually explicit texts to players or, you know, we don't name the actual harassment. We these reports always seem to to tilt the way of like again it's two things at once the club did everything that it could but they were also inexperienced and who can really blame them for doing such a crap job but they did the best they could and it's just like <laughs> that's a lot of words to essentially say nothing this is this is what i said last night on twitter is that i feel that, that the issue was not communication the issue is what they did they had in May and September with this individual, 
They had exactly. the opportunity, like, it's different now to look at this than it was in 2019, because this guy has pleaded guilty to four counts of sex crimes, including three counts of sexual assault, and one count of sexual touching of a minor. Um, and one of those, at least one of those cases related to, relates to this issue in, in 2018. More, I think, related to this issue, I can't, I, there were more charges those were the four he pleaded, pleaded guilty to, and at least one of those was related to this. So sex crimes were happening here. Mm-hmm. They had every opportunity to do something about it, and they didn't. Yeah. You exactly. can ask, well, could they, could they really have known what was happening? That wasn't what was being alleged in the complaint. Well, they knew something was wrong, and they did a, we, we can... And as ever, if, if, wouldn't you, if, if the second that you even thought that something like that was going on, would you not feel compelled to have a sense of duty to do something? They wanted this done with. They wanted the issue dead so that they could figure out, as per the notes in the CSA report, so they could figure out whether this guy could go to the Olympics. You know, they, they, they yeah. were trying to work... They were trying to just sort of work through it. And when. But when, if that's a cover up, then aren't we all guilty of a little bit of cover up here and there? Like it just. It's awful. It's just bad. It's amongst us. And like that's it's, the. They, they, they need to be more. You read the. Sorry. Please continue. I was just going to say, like, and it took a, a year to get here. Over a year. Like we're we're now. We're now far enough away from the situation that the the item included in the CSA report that indicates that um, the CSA uh, denied uh, Berardo review. Um, we 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 for a long time we were wondering, well, what's the CSA going to do about this? When what are we what are, where are we going here from the CSA? We now know that the CSA said no. This is the Whitecaps' problem. We're not going to do anything about it. Um, and that is, that's to me, you know, the, the, the NWSL person got fired for worse or for, for, for less, Yeah, you know, in terms of the people that, the people that were around at that time, you know, um, Peter Bonpoli is now running the world cup. Um, Victor Montagliani is now like the hockey FVP, like those, those people were involved in Dan and they were involved in this decision to essentially like like the the notion that they stonewalled this in 2019 we're now far away from that 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 is itself a damning revelation to me yeah yeah exactly and like the it's it's it has been a continuing a continuing issue of trying to i mean we just see professional club you know We've we want to believe that the Whitecaps are a professional team, like the Canucks, or like it, you know, like a like a top a top team that they were at that time. We wanted to believe that it was basically the same, and it wasn't. But they they had the imprimatur of being professional. Canada soccer has the imprimatur of being a a national football administration with the national team of a of a fairly significant country. Um. But it's just like any other nonprofit yeah. that has, you know, uh, that has five people in a, and a couple of bankers' boxes of documents that nobody's been through in a year, in, in years. 
and and they failed in in they like you know they as Chris Corrigan said in my comments yesterday like you even small organizations know what kind of responsibilities they have to um, do before they run programs for children. Yeah. This, and that's the thing is to, to pretend they're like, there's some sort of blurry line within all of this, uh, I think is incredibly disingenuous and, and, and ultimately really harmful as well. Um, and it's, it's no wonder more people didn't want to participate in this because they knew that this is the kind of thing that, that they would, be ultimately faced with again and unfortunately for everybody i think it, it does leave us kind of where we left off in a pretty ambiguous territory with i guess the ball in the white caps court to decide if they're going to to follow up on any actual actions outside of just these sort of broad uh recommendations um, axel schuster has been running the club basically on his own because everyone else has been suspended yeah. Um, and now, none in no none of these statements is it addressed what's happening to the remaining executives. We know that at least one or from their LinkedIn's, it is indicated that at least one or two of them have quietly resigned. Yeah, yeah, which isn't isn't that just so perfect that now all of them will just be allowed to quietly resign or mutually part ways as well? Like it, we've come full circle. Everybody involved just gets to to decide their own fate, and yet somehow we'll still be told about like how hard all these people had it, and they got canceled. And uh, I'm just well, so involved dumb. is still, you know, Greg Anderson. Yeah, I, I would I would say that if you read the um, the McLaren report on the CSA, Greg Anderson seems like a fairly um, an, an individual of some importance to this. And uh, and he's still there. Exactly. Um, the so so it, I guess again to you know more important than was there a cover up? You know, to me is did the did was enough done? And no, it wasn't because it was a failure. So to say, um, we're happy to say we're happy they judged that we we tried to take we took this seriously. Um, as though that matters when you failed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I and I I think that's exactly it. I mean, I, I honestly I was reading through the report and thinking about it and trying to think like, what am I missing here? And then I was like, I don't think it's my fault that <laughs> I'm missing something here. What I'm missing is like, and so what? Like, and and now, dot dot dot. Oh, okay, I guess. Thanks for this report. Um, the big, the big, the big report will come in September when the judge steps up to give his report in the sentencing of Bob Barada. Yeah, and, and when FIFA investigates the Hubert Busby thing, that's also going to be important. I think there's going to be one or two uh, investigations, uh, and probably lots more coming our way. Um, we do have. Do, do we? Is there anything else that we want to kind of say about this before we shift? Is there anything? I mean, I know there's there's obviously a lot to say about it, but any other conclusions or, or thoughts? I think that we, we say we try to say this from time to time, but I think it's important to say again that this was awful that the players who um, lived through it had to live through it, and and that they had to put up with this, and and everybody who participated and didn't participate. Or even just had to like 
look at a headline and know that this was about them. Um, you know, thoughts are with you. Always hope that um, whatever can be done to ease the the healing process is done. And the solidarity is with you. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that's the the most important thing that always gets pushed out of the narrative is that there is real harm done. And so we might ask ourselves the question, like, what are we doing to to try to repair some of that harm? The fun, the the thing for er, I'm not gonna say funny, but I was like, I was I had read all these reports. I meant to tweet something about it because it was the night that it came out, and I hadn't done it. And and this game last night was about to happen, and then um, seeing that the way that it was handled on TSN got me so fired up that I was just tweeting about this the whole half and I was not paying attention to that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably fair. Fuck them, yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a long time coming for for not <laughs> it just still feels like an entirely inadequate, but um since we last talked, a lot of things have happened. There's been a ton of news, a ton of transfers. I think at this point, it's not really breaking news to tell you that Christian Benteke is coming to DC United or th- things like that. But do we kind of just want to do a run through of some of the big moves that have happened since we last chatted? Yeah. Um, so I think that the, uh, yeah, so there have been, I actually didn't know about Benteke because I've been all over the place. Um, but Gaga Slonina has, you know, things were going well from, uh, for one of the things that was going well for the fire of the season was Slonina, and he's now off to Chelsea. That's right. Um, the Whitecaps have made another signing. <laughs> well, the Whitecaps have technically made a few signings, but um, the, 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 large, the main one, of course, was Schopf coming in, the 28-year-old box-to-box midfielder from Armenia, Bielfield? Bielfeld? I have very poor resolution on my computer, so I apologize for uh, butchering that name. Um, and then a couple of players have also come up through MLS Next as well to jump in to help uh, a beleaguered team out. Um, other big news, of course, was that LA Galaxy have signed the 22-year-old uh, Puig from Barcelona Academy. Um one that stood out to me that I wanted to get, oh, and I also forgot to confirm it, but as I do that, I'll get your thoughts on this. Um, Danny Moskovsky from LAFC to Real Salt Lake. I heard this was a rumor, and I'm just confirming. Yeah, it got done. Um, did you, like, <laughs> to me, this one I was a bit surprised by. And then I guess when I thought about it, I was like, well, LAFC have certainly been signing lots of players. But I thought Mazowski was kind of like a, an up-and-coming product for them. Um, but the forward has moved to RSL. Your thoughts, please. You've got to, you've got to, um, you've got to sell sometime. You know, <laughs> I, I, I keep talking you gotta, over and over. You've got to pay for some of these new players somehow. <laughs> yeah, like I think that, that it doesn't necessarily surprise me that they've been bringing in all these pieces. They've been excited to make any you know they they there seems to be open room you know at the there seems to be open room at the um you know for for players like this uh or there seems to be open room in LASC to bring in players but eventually um even if there is 
even if it's somebody who you would be surprised by, they've, they've got to move them yeah. on, I guess. I didn't realize that uh, Sebastian Legit moved to Dallas. That happened. That one happened as well. Um, I had also forgotten that Legit was playing for New England, so there is a double surprise there. I just, for the life of me, always think of him as a Galaxy player. I know it's been a minute since he's been there. Um, but yeah, 600000 in GAM. Uh, felt like that was a good deal. Dallas has obviously been very good, but I think looking for extra pieces, that's not a bad extra piece to have. Um, oh yeah, that's right. He played yesterday. Um, then what else do we have? I know there's other transfers and probably big ones that we're missing, but like, I don't think folks will blame us for not being able to run through all of them. An awful lot of deadline transfers happening. Uh, the U S open cup was also taking place. Sacramento Republic are through after a penalty kick shootout win against the beleaguered sporting Kansas city. Ourselves. They will face Orlando. In the finals is, uh, sporting Kansas city who, like, I wouldn't even say that the season has been terrible, but it just is... Oh, would you not? <laughs> are they, are they, well, let me just... What would we call it? I'm saying that as I, like, like, like the length of the words terrible is how long I'm trying to, I'm trying to get it's the, also, the standings to load. Yeah, okay, they're at the very bottom, yeah. In the, I think what's probably fresh in our heads is the game week we're talking about, and the games we're talking about, Sporting Kansas City did pick up a win against LA, so... In the context of this conversation, there's redemption there. They almost won against Austin as well. I think the thing, the the exciting thing, looking at the Western Conference right now, and and this applies to Sporting Kansas City, is that traditionally the team at the bottom of the conference of of either conference or 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 whatever, like you know, the, the Whitecaps in in San Jose have been near the bottom of these tables the last couple of years, and. And have been sad sacks doing it, um, you know, like like or like DC a couple of years ago, or or Cincinnati, you know, a couple of, in 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 the couple of years after they were founded, like the um, but the 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 reason why I I take that pause, even though obviously it's been going badly for Sporting Kansas City, is that I don't think Sporting Kansas City is a terrible team. And San Jose's not a terrible team this year anymore either, in terms of just like being completely rudderless, you know, in a drift down there at the bottom. It just has not been coming together for Sporting Kansas City. It's true. It's true. I mean, I, I do feel like Sporting Kansas City still has their moments and, and obviously like players of, of great quality. It's but they don't really have the right mix, and a lot of that is through injuries and I mean, I think there's rightly lots of questions raised about their strikers and the lack of production. I mean, they've scored, I think, like, what, 24, 26? 26 goals this season. Um, which is, you know, not that much worse than the Whitecaps 29. <laughs> but we got to set the bar a little higher than that. And to have a player like uh, Kyrie Shelton on the wages he's on, like you got to ask some questions there, but I agree. I, I don't think sporting Kansas city is a terrible team and, but they have been playing terribly and getting terrible results for the most part. Um, the uh, MLS all-star game also happened. I caught a little bit of it. I was super into it last year and I loved the skills competition and uh, there wasn't an easy way to watch it this year. So I was just out um, I do know 
MLS did win 2-1, two, two goals, one from Vela, one from Rui Diaz. I caught uh, I caught a little bit of the middle of it, and I think it's just really funny that, like, sometimes whenever somebody drops off the, the all-star game list, I mean, um, the... In Lorenzo Insigne had some sort of a family emergency that required him to not be there. Um, the and I, I just think that whenever somebody drops out, I think it's super funny because I don't think this game is that great of an idea. Regardless, I did think that last year's you know dual thing with Liga Emeikis was fun, um, and I think that it's better than the friendlies. Like when they had, um, when they had. This weird invitational cup, the leagues. Yeah, like MLS versus Manchester United or something, or versus Atletico Madrid. That made no sense. There was like a week of games there where I was like, what is actually happening right now? Like, who's... (laughs) Some interesting results, but it's like, ah, Newcastle at RSL. And you're like, wait, didn't they just do a Wednesday and a Saturday league game? And now they're doing a midweek... I like the idea of all... I'm all for friendlies and exhibitions and the silliness of it. I just feel like, it could this maybe be a preseason thing we do to get people psyched up and, like, lower the stakes a bit and also not do it in the middle of, like, an incredibly crowded schedule? Like, it, it, it's fine. It's fine. Just... Then that becomes, if you had... The problem is, if you had it at the beginning, like, you... Who, who's your all-star? But so they they like to have it in the middle. They probably I heard a suggestion that it probably won't happen last year because if you this is I I kind of forgot this is the league's cup. So I understand we're not doing a league's cup this year. They had the league's cup showcase of games between MLS teams and Mexican teams, and then um, next year they're going to stop the league for a couple of weeks, like the World Cup, and do a league's cup tournament that everyone is involved in. So they have kind of said that there might not the 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 form they might not do a MLS Liga MX um All Star game in that case. Um, so this is the second year and maybe the last year that we're going to see this one. I liked it a lot better than the friendlies. Um, I also think that um the thing that I found funny none of this matters to me. It's all just kind of like an interesting oddity that it's ever anybody that's happening at all. So I kind yeah. of am amused by the fact that like you know they're they're trying to hype everything up about like the the, the star-studded occasion. And these two teams, because there is some I think some legitimate bragging rights to be won here, and and mm. some some legitimate you know motivation for each players. That means the games are tight tense somewhat from my perspective exciting to watch but like from the neutral perspective of like these are fun romps where there's lots of goals no man there was there was 60 minutes of nothing in the middle of this (laughs) where there was a third minute there was a third third minute carlos vela goal and like a weird penalty in the 76th minute and there was nothing there was it was just tough battle and stuff in the middle of that. And I think maybe a disallowed goal. Um, But like, if you were, if you, the result wise, I think for a a hardcore fan, that's kind of a good game, but it definitely was. It's like, we're going to give, we're going to give these, we're going to try and create something for the casual fans. 
and give them the grittiest. Yeah, and then have two teams just slog it out in midfield (laughs) physical battles for 60 minutes. Yeah, which, like, as, you know, I don't hate. (laughs) Like, it's it's not a bad product. I'm all for it. It is just kind of funny, though, because it is sort of meant to be this, like, joking, fun thing. And it is, and I think you see that really come out in the skills challenge. But it's sort of like when the game happens... There's definitely bodies flying, and I don't feel like a lot of players are pulling their punches because most of them are only playing a 15 or 20 minute shift, right? So they just go out, run not too, too hard, but still run hard, and then get subbed off. But um, I think one big. I, let me, let me, here's my pitch for the All Star game next year. All right. Um, it should just be the Young Stars. It should be like the Olympics. It should be the Young Stars Challenge with two overage players. So you no no players over twenty one or no players with more than you know two years in the league or however you put it and then um and then you each each conference can get like you can get like all those players and Carlos Vela like that's how <laughs> that's my that's my it's like the EA Sports like you get your <laughs> gold foil player um, but then you also have to find a, a place to play Breck Shea kind of deal yeah. That would be my pitch. That would be my pitch. I see that and raise you just MLS All-Stars versus uh, Drew E.C. Versus versus the MVP from the previous season. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Um, hey! One one big game that happened uh, alongside all of that that did count for something, count for a cup, was, of course, the Canadian Championship. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I know, right? We haven't even got to the MLS. Matches. That was really, yeah. that was really, uh, that was a marvelous, a marvelous time for me. Um, I quite liked uh, the, um, just basically, I missed the last time Whitecaps won. This tournament has been such a, a scenario for the Vancouver Whitecaps where um, they, Every round has felt like so much dread. Like, oh, this is the round where we're embarrassed by a Campiel team. Okay, well, this is the round where we're embarrassed by a Campiel team. Yeah, I don't feel like it. it yeah, I don't feel like it's been terribly positive heading into these games, especially after last season. And certainly, we've had some shaky moments in this cup, and certainly in the final as well. Um, but I thought that, the, you know, it was a good game. TFC was coming off of a, a big win and of, of obviously the arrival of their star players. Um, the Whitecaps were coming in off of uh, the disappointing performance and loss to Chicago at home. So I also felt like there there was definitely some pressure on this because it, it, it felt like this could very much go TFC's way. Um, and then... What unfolded was largely watching Insigne just not being able to get past Jake Nerwinski. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm watching right now. Um, but the Whitecaps just put in a, a gritty performance and they bent a few times but didn't break. I thought, you know, despite conceding just enormous amounts of possession, they stayed compact. All the defenders showed a lot of focus. Um, we got a great brian white goal which hadn't happened in a while um bernadeski scored a goal that found lucas or, or bernadeski sorry sorry crossed a ball to lucas mcnaughton who tied it up which i thought was kind of like a fun 
just like, of course, that would be the combination of players that would undo the Whitecaps. Um, and then everything went straight to penalties. And, of course, we won with a, a the final penalty being taken by Tristan Blackman, of all people, to score it and win it for us, I thought was kind of the perfect icing on the cake of like a very Whitecaps way to win this is... That's right. Yeah, Azoria missing, you know, keeping Insigne and Bernadeschi largely quiet and then having your defender score <laughs> the final penalty. I just was like, yeah, that would be the white the way the Whitecaps would win this. Um Yeah. And and then we're the champ we're the Canadian championship. I <laughs> I can't even say it. This happens. I'm a, so unused to saying that we won a thing. The words will not leave my face. This there was the day after my birthday, a wonderful birthday present to me. Um That's right. really, really enjoyed it and, and and drank deep of it, you know. There was like something where Bob Bradley was mad at Vanny Sartini for, for celebrating at um Osorio or something and it's just like I just think you know I don't buy into there were there was a moment where I thought you know given this the size of this competition am I am I thinking too much am I am I getting too caught up in in celebrating this like a championship and then I decided no this is it's been tough it's been tough I'm going to enjoy this absolutely absolutely we're whitecaps fans we take the wins when we can and we celebrate the achievements when they happen because it could be a while before the next one i see your note about penalty kicks and going straight to penalty kicks yeah i saw a little bit of chirping online and i don't know if i'm now swinging at windmills on this one too but i feel like there's some people that were like they they don't like the format of going straight to pks and i'm like you know okay fine but all the teams agree to the format, and I feel like this was also from some of the TFC plans fans that it's like, okay, you've just lost the final. To start complaining about the format of it is like, well, everybody knew that was going to be the format going in, so you can't blame the format after the fact. Um, and I, I did see as well, like fans on both sides sort of being like, this is silly, but like, you know, I. At a time, like, what does it really add in a competition like this? Like, you just want it to mirror European soccer? Like, w- would anything have been accomplished in that extra 30 minutes? And it so rarely is that I'm just like, you know what? The, th- the important part here is we're looking for a winner. Um, the, the, that's my hot take. The Copa America, the last Copa America had that as well. I, I go 50-50 on it. Um, sometimes I like the it really depends on the teams I don't think it would have been possible really to say like whether or not it would have helped or harmed a a particular team maybe you'd say oh well Toronto would figure it out if they got an extra half hour Eh, maybe Um, but I think the fact that it is a midweek game with league matches on either side that's what I, I don't think I wouldn't want it I think I would want it for MLS Cup I would want that. I would want sure. the extra thirty minutes for an odds cup. But sure, I mean, I I get that it's like, it sucks to have inconsistency and people are like, well, if it wants to be higher profile and it's a final, then it should have it. But I'm like, but it's also it's it's a different final than other finals, and that like I don't think it's diminished by not having an entire extra period of added time. Where let's be real, does it ever actually like? 
I know that you can point to times where it does matter. But for me, for most of the time, it, you're just watching two sides slowly outlast each other, trying to preserve their penalty shooters anyway. Like, uh, especially when you know you're managing minutes for mid, you know, league games coming up. I just don't feel like it always adds a lot. Anyway, my point is, I think it's fine. Not a huge fan of it, but like, it's all right, right? Uh, Vancouver then went on to have that uh, last minute two one win against Houston. That's exciting. That was a that was impressive and unfortunate. And Vancouver got the doors blown out the last night by L.A., which is you know not what you would want. But but in terms of these <laughs> in terms of these gutsy wins, you know, a, a Lucas Cavallini 90, 92nd minute winner. Um. Wouldn't well, and of course, the the one game signee Simon Betcher coming on uh, in his first game uh, in Major League Soccer to tie things up in the eighty second minute, I thought was great as well. We then uh, moved to Saturday, the August sixth thing, and something, some weird stuff happened <laughs> between yeah. the end. Between like, the I know it was just a full moon, but it, like, what was happening? Were the tides off or something? Because that week in MLS just was a little off the chain. Yes, we had uh, um, the we had Charlotte scoring at home in the first matter uh, uh, in the first minute uh, across to Jordi Reyna. Um, yeah. Then Chicago. Uh, evened up with the rebound fall to Casper Shabilko and was, quote, fired in with menace. I don't think Shabilko has another gear to shooting a ball that's not fired in with menace. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a great leveler. They they sort of, uh, Chicago was able to get the two, uh, get the get the lead. Um, Charlotte, Charlotte. Then, no, I, wasn't it Navarro? Oh, wait, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah, yeah then it was... Yeah. Um, Charlotte tying it up before Shabilko uh, scored again off of a nice ball from Jordan Shakiri Shakiri to uh, to make it three two Chicago. Yeah, it was a very good ball across field to find him, and like I feel like Charlotte is certainly we've seen signs of life and and some good results from them, um, but Chicago was able to to squeak that one squeak one more past them i don't i don't know i'm feeling like uh chicago hasn't necessarily changed my mind i don't know that they've changed a lot of minds um <laughs> just because they beat the white caps um they're sitting 10th in the league um and charlotte is one point behind them in 11th um so yeah i don't know that this one told us a, a huge amount necessarily but it sort of also was like another example where we just seem to have such high scoring games and this wasn't even one of the higher scoring ones. We had Nashville and TFC TFC in, uh, Osorio bamboozles three folks by uh, dropping back to get the first goal. And it looked our girls in a penalty. Um, Osorio gets a second. Teal Bunbury, who I some I probably could have forgotten that he was at, at Nashville, um, equalizes, makes it two two. Bernadeschi scores a penalty kick for Toronto, and then um, Lorenzo Insigne 
showing why they, why they pay him the big bucks with a very pretty goal from the outside of the box. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's fair to say at this point that those DPs have uh, paid off well for Toronto. I heard yesterday in the TFC Portland game after TFC was able to to turn things around and get all three points there. Um, Bernadeschi or Insigne have been involved in eight out of ten TFC goals. Of the, like out of their last ten goals, either one of those players has been involved in eight of them. So, I would say working out. And this so is far. this is the freshly unboxed version of these players. That's scary. Yeah, thought. like haven't even settled yet. Terrific. Um, <laughs> the Walker Zimmerman scores, and you think, oh, good, natural, Nashville's on. On on four three now. Do you think that they could be doing something here? No, uh, they did not. <laughs> the answer the answer is no. And Nashville, all of a sudden, a team that we always talk about as being so defensively solid, uh, has now given up thirty four goals. They've slid down to seventh place. I don't think it's like total panic button stuff yet. But in a West that's getting tight, um, defensively, I. I you know, Nashville definitely needs to turn things around. They've just looked very, very flat at times. And also, in this particular instance, uh, I feel like there's a lot of teams that would have struggled to defend against some of these plays and these shots. Colorado had the weirdest match week where they went up against Minnesota. They had this... uh, Minnesota scores first, but then... uh, You know, Colorado is able to... And, like, early in this one, too, right? Like... Yes, the yeah. very very early, and you'd think, okay, well, this is the thing, but but Colorado gets uh, two from two from Rubio, um, Jesse Zardes scores, uh, Amaria scores for Minnesota, but now it's like you know three two, um, oh wait no yeah Zardes uh, we get another <laughs> you're forgiven for getting confused about who scored two, in two. a four or three game. <laughs> This is uh, Rubio gets his hat trick, and then Minnesota scores again one more time to, to bring it close. But so, Col- oh, this is the Zardes hat trick. I thought. No, this is the Rubio. Oh, when does the Zardes hat trick? No, happen? you're wrong. I have sorry. These three, these three all have. This is the Zardes hat trick. You're right. All of these. Oh, okay, okay. So the the line started with. I had three lines in my notes that started with Rubio. I was just reading them poorly. Um, but yes, that's just, well. That's that happens. That obviously those two players um, combining well together because you have this this Ruby. The first goal is a shot that was caught by yeah. Dean St. Clair. People sort of commenting neg- negatively on St. Clair's performance here, and I guess you you put in you you let four by you. That's that's fine. There was it's not like this was a defensively you know a defensively uh, sound game for both sides either. <laughs> Um, it's true. Well, and and so, yeah, I mean, there was definitely two big spills from Dane Sinclair, and, and that's not great. I mean, I feel like as a young goalkeeper as well, like, we, you're allowed to make mistakes, you know? Like, he's a sensational shot stopper and obviously great, but... So it's yeah. two Rubio shots um, saved by Sinclair, and then um, the rebound picked up by Zardes. And then the yeah. third... Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, you can be forgiven because Rubio was literally in the frame on all of those goals, so... He was certainly involved in in everything. Um, my favorite part about this game, though, is like it's 14 minutes in. It was 3-1 for Colorado. <laughs> so it was always going to be tough for Minnesota in this one. But, um, you know, 
good thing. Came back a bit. So you score eight there, and then you head to New York. Yeah. <laughs> and we, or sorry, you score seven, then you head to New York. Um, and that one was also just out of, uh, out of control. Out of <laughs> that was a four, yeah. that was Colorado winning four or five away at Red Bull Arena. Yeah, and, like, we'll get to the Red Bulls, but also, like, this is the thing, obviously Colorado has started to find, I mean, they've always been a goals-by-committee team. Zardes coming good is excellent for them. You know, nine goals in, in a week is not bad, but, okay, they put five past Red Bulls and then four past Minnesota, but to also be conceding seven... It, not not so great. So I'm, I can't say I'm super excited or thrilled that the Whitecaps are facing them next. But they are only a point above us, and they've also conceded a lot of goals. So uh, I think that this continues to be the question mark over um, over Colorado right now. Um, is is can they tighten things up at the back, and if they make it into the playoffs, are they going to be able to do anything? I should um, I should stay there long here. Clarify those games are reversed. They were one way in the the highlight video, but the the New York goal oh. was on Tuesday, and the other I one got them out of sequence. So Colorado was the one that had the 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 nine goals and then brought them to this weekend, and they probably caused everything else that happened. Right. Yeah. Did you then go to Austin in uh, their match against San Jose? Where uh, you have uh, Cascante scoring on the sixth minute, um, the uh, Kikanovic is def- uh, his shot is deflect up and past. Uh, and he sort of like gets his foot on something from Paul Marie that, that then goes up and past Uber. Um Paul Marie himself then shoots his, hits his own long shot goal to make it two. Uh, to make it two one, um, two you then have two amazing. Uh, Wait, surprise. was that sorry? Did you just say Paul the Palmer Eagle? Yes. Can we just take a second to recognize that? I mean, anybody hitting that kind of shot, but from a left back as well, that that was uh, that was a great goal. That was a that was outstanding. He was really good. That was like a long shot. There were a couple good long shot goals. Yeah, in yeah. Century, yeah, yeah, but yeah. That was that was. That deserves special attention for sure. Um, the Dan Drew uh, um is able to cut back in in so much space. The ball is cut back to him, and he's in so much space is able to take it um, to make it two two. Uh, he has a his next goal is he has a defender take it off him, but he steps over the defender before. Um, it goes over the, the, the byline and he's able to slot it in, which was outstanding. Yeah, I mean, he's just, obviously his ability all over the pitch is, is crazy, but his instinct and just drive to score a goal, it, like, I wouldn't compare him to Joseph Martinez necessarily in terms of, like, style of play, and obviously they play different positions, but just the, like, when he gets the bit between his teeth, he's just, like, he's just willing it into the net. <laughs> just sheer force of will and skill. If he wants to score, it's it, it's going to happen. I actually felt like, you know, the Earthquakes to get a point out of this and, and keep themselves in it um, 
depending on how you want to look at it, I didn't think was the worst. I don't feel like the earthquakes have really progressed a ton from where they were or changed all that much, except that they score more goals more often now, and they still usually allow the same number. But against a team like Austin, I think that this is uh, kind of as much as you can hope for if you're San Jose. Yeah, I think that that tie that they've been using it obviously to great um, to great results, and they've been you know Austin's been doing real uh, doing great right now. They're having a, they're having a good time down there. Um, yesterday they were down uh, they were down three one at the half to Sporting Kansas City, and they won four three in the ninety fourth minute from DOEC. They're 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 enjoying life at Q two Stadium. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the only the only real team within touching distance is just slightly well more than slightly ahead of them I guess is of course the aforementioned LAFC. They uh did the damage to RSL for one um and it, just the usual story. It's just absurd wave after wave of attack from LAFC and all of the attacking pieces that they have. Um However, the play of this game was, of course, from the opening line, it was uh, Chiellini getting sent off for just throwing both arms up to stop a long oh my shot God. coming in. And that just was outrageous. it down to get a red card as well. The craziest thing to me is there are people that were like, this isn't a red card. And I was like, I don't know how I think it's so deliberate and so did obvious. he get a red i thought he got a yellow i thought it was discussed that he got a yellow oh maybe but but i think it was a second yellow oh okay well then that Perhaps would yeah not. that that was i no maybe he was sent off later because i don't think he was sent off right away for that because that was that was what people were talking about i saw people say if it was anyone else it would have been a red because uh, because he was so yeah. he was so weak like like he was in there he was popping up. No, I don't think there. Yeah, I think he. I was in the 69th, and I, he stayed on. I think. Um, but he absolutely stands up and just just palms it out of it. Just volleyball with two hands. <laughs> and like the, the the thing that makes it a possible red, of course, is it it is denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity. Everybody's favorite pup dog. So, um, where you know you could you could. At, you could just say like that he was basically stopping the ball from running behind him. Well, and I think the shot is intended to be a long shot and to catch the keeper off his line. So I thought it was dog so, but may, maybe that's why I jumped to that conclusion is I just assumed that's a, a sending off. Gareth Bale with a very pretty goal at the end to, to round things out and make sure that he's, you know, getting his, uh, that he's, Getting his shit in, as it as it were. <laughs> yeah, we we wouldn't want to forget about him. Um, elsewhere, some other big results. Um, I think the big talking point, of course, was the three one win for Cincinnati over Philadelphia Union. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's a panic moment for Philadelphia. They came back strong this week and and were able to resume normal Philadelphia Union activities. But I think it's a real shot across the bow from Cincinnati. Um, they are sitting in ninth place, tied with Orlando, Miami, and New England with 33 points. I think they're making a serious playoff run. And I think with the likes of uh, Brenner, Acosta, just the way that he pops up in every play, um, 
they just have such a good squad right now. And I think they just caught the union at the right moment. Um, maybe not quite as prepared and, and sharp as they needed to be, but this was also a really good win from Cincinnati. I don't think this was the Philadelphia union having a terrible game. Um, but really, I mean, it was only in the 77th minute that Paxton Aronson was able to get a goal for Philadelphia. And other than that, this one was pretty solidly uh, going the way of Cincinnati. Um, a lot of teams in the East and in, in the West have, have, have dealt with their you know first halves of the season and realized, trying to wake up and say, we need to get up. We need to get back up to standing. The biggest issue right now for Cincinnati, I, I agree with you, they've got the right players in and, and they're playing well together. But there are uh, there are four teams on 33 points and two of them are in the playoffs right now. Um, they're not one of them and Toronto is still behind them. You know, Charlotte is behind them. Um, <laughs> usually I wouldn't say that Chicago is like a big threat, but they're on the outside looking in already. They're, they're in touching distance. They're in touching distance, sure. But, you know, Toronto being, uh, if they if Toronto can turn in some results like they had, you know, that they have been starting to get with these with these players getting more um, acclimatized, um, you know, they're only, they're only four points behind Cincinnati. And I don't think that that's, like, outrageous to think that they would be able to close that gap relatively simply. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, and I think the teams above them, with the exception of Red Bulls, have all been starting to, to play better or have continued to play well, and that that's going to be a tight thing in the East as as well, I believe. Um, but New good. York, They've been doing good. Um, yeah. there's, no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, not to take any of the, the shine off of it. I think just to, to sort of place it in context as well is like they also have their work cut out from them because – the teams that are holding those spots right now are, are doing pretty good. Um, New York City FC, of course, has been having some defensive issues. Um, I think they can be forgiven for losing to Columbus 3-2. Um, they also, New York City also lost the, yesterday as well. Um, Cucho and Zellerayan doing the business for Columbus in that one. It ends 3-2. Two redirections off of Columbus defenders are what get City the goals. But you just cannot stop Lucas Zellerayan and Columbus. You know, despite there still being mistakes and sometimes performances here and there or bits of games that don't quite work out, like it, it's pretty hard to fault this side at, at this moment in time. Columbus is is finding ways to to win games and keep themselves above that playoff line. God, Zellerayan is so good. We could say that Drew UC is like a you know an MVP candidate, but I would include that individual in my in my. Oh hell yeah, yeah, Lucas Elrayan. I think as much attention and credit as he gets, I I still feel like flies under the radar as as just a, a hugely absurd talent in MLS. Um, so we talked a little bit about Sporty Kansas City's weird experience with with Colorado with uh, um, Colorado. They also had. Uh, or with Atlanta, or with sorry, with Austin, um, but they also in the last um, play week had the game week had the this strange one against LA Galaxy, where they that's right, they uh, ended up winning at home four two, but with two goals in injury time. 
Yeah, some sometimes <laughs> sometimes even when it's not going your way, it can still go your way in this one. And Galaxy were really on a, a bit of a slide there. Um, the Whitecaps, of course, helping them out in that regard. But I think Galaxy were coming into this game kind of a, a, just a, a mentally weak side. But also, is Sporting Kansas City that held on and, and won this one and won it late as well, as you said. So I, again, I'm as much as it's easy to just look at the team that's at the bottom and doing horribly to be like, well, there's no hope, but it does start to become an interesting question if they can put a few more performances like these together or also just play the role of villain and, and steal points from the teams that are trying to make that playoff run that might be uh, get getting out of their reach a little bit. So Tommy for Sporting Kansas City has the opener up of a pretty volley. Uh, Espinosa has a a close angle cross to um, Angada, I think. Where did I had his name up here? William Angada, um, who basically stabs it three times with three saves by the goalkeeper. But uh, VAR notes that one of those on one of those he was uh, pushed too far over the line for it to uh, to be a, a, a to be a thing. Um, and eventually, Agata also gets a, a, a second to make it three one. To make it three nothing for Sporting Kansas City, and then in the 80th minute, you know Chicharito scores this goal. People wonder, is it offside or not? It's given, and then they score on penalty kicks. And you think, oh my god, maybe we've got something. Maybe we got something cooking here. It's three two. They were at three nothing ten minutes ago, and then Daniel Shallowy breaks forward, scores in a tight angle, <laughs> puts fade to that. Yeah, and and sometimes that happens, right? Is is you just you have a, a bunch of stinkers in a row and then everything just seems to work out and, and you can't seem to, to do any wrong. And sometimes that doesn't always last either. Um, Montreal's been doing pretty well. I've now, I think they're now unbeaten in five or six. Um, they drew Inter-Miami 2-2. Inter-Miami has been starting to switch on and, and cause real problems. Iguain and Rodriguez get the goals for Miami. Kyoto bags two for Montreal. Um, All right, one. That, that was that's pretty good. You would you would maybe hope Miami has been getting themselves into the playoff position. That's good. Montreal have been able to to get some wins in some unique places, but they have been uh, they got the win. You know, in, they got they were able to pick up a win in Houston on Saturday as we're speaking now. Um, but this uh, this one they were they get they get the single point at home. But I think that you know. That's to Miami's credit that they were able to that they themselves were able to get out and get the the road result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think one one last game that I kind of wanted to to point out that from that week that I think is is telling or maybe tells us something is uh, always fierce battle between Atlanta and Seattle. Um, Atlanta was able to win that one two one in the twentieth minute. There was a scramble in the box. Cisnero scores. Roldan was able to tie it in the sixty seventh minute. Um, it still kind of felt to me like the momentum was maybe Atlanta's way. A few late Seattle half chances. Seattle looked okay, but as we've seen from them recently, just not all the right pieces always linking up. Um, and then it's just a completely insane late strike from uh, Gutman, who wrongfoots Stefan Fry, and it's all three points for Atlanta. And that's interesting to me because Atlanta is now okay. They're sitting 13th in the East, 
DC's got 22 points. I don't think we really need to worry about them too much at this point. But there's three teams with 29 points. Chicago's at 30. And then we've got the four teams tied with 33 points. A late Atlanta surge is not out of the question. And we were talking about, you know, Cincinnati in that final playoff spot. I think that there's going to be some really tight down to the the final game of the season moving around in the table because you've got these teams that have got really interesting pieces, have been picking up good results, and have defensively been shaky, right? Like all the teams below the line, I think we know why they're there. Um, but as they come online, you go like Atlanta, can they do better than the teams above them? maybe like a, a few more wins and it starts to become very interesting is what I'm trying to say. Anybody that's in that, anybody that's in that crush needs to really think about like doing some strong work to hold their position. Basically there are no, there's, it doesn't really feel like if you, if you are hoping to qualify in those, uh, if you're hoping to qualify in those spots, it doesn't seem like there's a, there's an opportunity for you to lose any points right now. Absolutely. And I think that's what strengthens Montreal's case. Like, yes, they're, of course, second in the league now, but they've been climbing up steadily because they're picking up key road points. And I mean, I know that, like, obviously everybody's trying to pick up road points, but just really, really staying focused and, and having a very high level of expectation from your players uh, at this point is is like, yeah, I think the rubber has hit the road for a lot of teams that realize it's it's now or never. We've got to be... It's maximum points out of all situations. An important uh, thing to note, I think, for um, you had this uh, Orlando lost 3 nothing to New England and had been doing poorly. They got a win at, at New York Red Bull on Saturday, um, but Alexandra Pato was stretchered off. And uh, yeah. as as of the the night of that situation was, quote, on at this moment, at this moment, Pato has crutches. He can't walk. Say says Orlando City coach Oscar Pereja. Yeah, yeah. Best of luck to him. It it looks bad. Uh, getting struck in the side of the, it's sort of like it looks like a knee on knee contact. I really hope it's not ligaments, but I'm going. That's a. There's a lot of acronyms in your knee, and they seem to all be very susceptible to to breakage. But obviously, we hope that everything works out there and speedy recovery for whatever it. It turns out to be for him, but that's obviously, uh, you know, a big loss for a team that has really started to rely on that talent. Um, is there any? I I think that we I think we got all the we got all the key stuff there. I think. Um, I th I think we did as well. Dallas had a draw with Portland and and Dallas. I have things to say about, but I think we'll wait until next time because I want to go a little bit more in depth into the the situation in Dallas. Well, until next time, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram. That's so MLS. You can, of course, find this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and also at that's so MLS com. That's the other one. Where can we find you? You can find me online on Twitter at TeamBates, www.team-bates.com. And uh, if you're not Giorgio Chiellini, do not volleyball <laughs> the ball out of the air and don't get sent off. Yeah.